that's essentially what it is at the highest level, uh, as I see it for the future of learning and training is you will have a personalized AI based intelligent adaptive tutor that'll help you give you the just in time information you need uh, for the right information for the unique scenario that you're actually in right there. Hey guys, welcome back to Ready to Redo. I'm Joe Yang, and today we're discussing the future of AI in education. We're joined by Gene Frizzell. He's a former teacher and did his Masters of Education and has worked extensively and has led teams in AI and adaptive e-learning. Adaptive e-learning is like where AI takes each student's responses to quizzes, questions, activities, etc. and adapts that study material to where each student needs it most. Of course, it does get a little bit more complicated than that, but that is why we have Jean here and let's just jump straight into it. Life has, it's not just yes or no, it's not binary, but you got shades, shades of gray there, right? So um, learning is kind of the, the same way and everyone has different knowledge going into a situation. Uh, everyone has different skill sets and, and capabilities going to that situation. So why would someone be put through the exact same learning path? It doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. In our, in our education systems, you have cohorts, let's say 30, 40 students to one teacher Everyone there has a different history, different capabilities, different IQ, different EQ and all that. Um, but it's kind of the industrial revolution output there. Everyone should have the same when they leave, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Adaptive learning is, is different. It's the idea of everyone maybe uh, has the same goal, right? Because that's essentially what the government wants is a workforce that can do X, right? But how you're going to get there should be different and unique to everyone's unique situation. So adaptive learning at, at its simplest is a, uh, an ability for your path to be altered based upon the choices and decisions you make within the e-learning, right? So do you mean sort of like a quest or, or some sort of uh, storyboard? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good way of, of putting it is that everyone's kind of on their own own quest. And when I would develop e-learning, uh, we would try to do adaptive e-learning. But of course, this is, you know, before this was at the beginnings of, of AI and machine learning and, and, and such. Um, and it was beyond my capabilities. So you would manually think of, OK, if John is going through this scenario, he's trying to fix his car. But this you got to try to think of all the different scenarios that could happen based upon mm -hmm. and then you branch them out john might do this and choose this so we have to think of specific rich feedback for that potential divergence from that path yeah. and then he might do that okay but then from that he might go off this way so it's multi-branching and it's an exponential level of effort and thus cost so manually adaptive learning is very very difficult and not cost effective mm. however nowadays enter AI and machine learning. They could think of over time with enough, enough data, potentially every possible outcome and in that scenario that John could come up with and it gives proper remedial feedback for every uh, situation he's in to help him along that continuum to that predefined goal. Right, okay, so. Does that make sense? Um what came into my head actually and i think would be a good example for, in terms of pop culture for a lot of the listeners is uh what's it called 
Black Mirror. Black Mirror. I'm oh, not sure yeah. Yeah, I've watched hey, some of that. Yeah. Right. Bandersnatch. The, the, yep, the interactive the, one, right? Uh-huh. So, is, yeah, yeah. so yeah. for example, for people who know or don't know about Bandersnatch, it's a classic, you choose what the show does. So, if right. you have four options and then you say, check the, your emails instead of open mm. the door. And that will lead you to a different, um, different scene as opposed to choosing a, another option. Um, yep. So in terms of linking that with education, mm-hmm. is it that the student can choose one of these things and then um, if they get it wrong, AI or whatever will see that as, okay, you got it wrong. Let me give you, let me give you this personalized feedback and let me give you another scenario that is more suited to your current learning capabilities yeah i think that's that's a good way of looking at it um so but the the uh, with truly adaptive learning that's based upon ai and you know a a trillion data points uh uh, from thousands of users who have gone through before there really is no right and wrong to a certain extent depending on the context for example if you're doing surgery there are a lot of binary decisions (laughs) that have to be made but in real life most things we're faced with aren't yes or no. They're trinary, if you will, the gray areas of, you know what, that's a great approach. However, you could have thought of it this way, mm-hmm. right? So uh, let's compare the, uh, the video you were just talking about, the interactive video, which, which is called, you said there are four possible choices. What if there are an unlimited number of choices? <laughs> so My i'll give you an example explode. yeah yeah yes, i mean example please <laughs> manually trying to come up with every possible scenario and then rich feedback for each scenario you can't do it manually and we tried doing a lot of that when i worked in in um, uh, developing e-learning for uh defense sector r d and uh, we just realized we'd have to have a team of a thousand people and it wouldn't be cost effective so you really do need that ai aspect Adaptive learning with uh, an AI under the hood is kind of like, uh, let's say, the ancient Greeks, when you didn't have, let's say, a formal school for everyone, the, the wealthy had tutors, human tutors, and they would accompany the kid around everywhere, right? That's essentially what it is. At the highest level, uh, as I see it for the future of learning and training, is you will have a personalized AI-based intelligent adaptive tutor. That'll help you give you the just-in-time information you need uh, for the right information for the unique scenario that you're actually in right there. The end state, I would say, is there is no classroom. But on the way there, um, it would essentially be what's, what's increasingly happening is you have pods. Uh, you don't have the 30 or 40 students sitting down in a classroom. You have activity areas in which they're doing different things and sometimes at their own speed you would have uh, the, the instructor um, explaining what's going to be happening, um, what the goals are and um, what the resources are and, and how we might approach learning about it and the, the whole purpose of why you need to learn this, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's yeah. to get past the next course or whether it's like, let's say training for your job when you graduate mm-hmm. and you enter the workforce, you need to learn this because that's the context, right? But for the actual uh, learning and learning activities, I believe it's going to be you go off on your own with your adaptive learning platform and you go through the material at that pace that gives you that level of mastery that's been predefined. I, I, and I think 
you know, uh, at least at the beginning, you're going to have times where you got to raise your hand and just check in with the teacher. Hmm. But eventually yeah. all the, if you could properly monitor all the time, all the times the millions of little hands went up and said, I don't understand this. And that gets harvested and entered into the data. The AI would then have that as a data set of all the possible questions that might ever be asked and how they were best answered. It's kind mm -hmm. of Orwellian big brother monitoring, but For sure. the whole idea <laughs> behind it, right? let's say they have to write a book report. They get to choose their own book. Right. Mm -hmm. And they go off with the laptop and, and they're doing their exploration on Google, looking at different reviews of it and they're writing it. They might be using uh, something that uh, checks on uh, against the, the predefined rubric, how well in real time they are getting close to achieving the highest scores on that rubric. Mm -hmm. That's what adaptive learning could do. It could also uh, give remedial action for someone it identifies as not really understanding the process, let's say, of persuasion writing, and thus, boom, opens up a little adaptive lesson on persuasive writing. So it's unique to that person, whereas the rest of the students maybe don't need that. I'm interested to see how would they identify problems with persuasive writing? Because mm -hmm. when, I, when I think of writing, when I think of art and everything like that, I find it super personalized and super subjective. Um, yeah. right. So if, if a student say the topic was write an essay, uh, a persuasive essay, and the student does their intro and they submit it and the feedback they get from mm -hmm. AI is, okay, you need to improve on this. How would right. they know that this is uh, bad <laughs> writing versus good writing? Exactly. Yeah. How do we do it right now? So as a former teacher, um, let's say there's an end of year exam and it's an essay. Yep. How it worked in our school board was you didn't have one marker. You had multiple markers. Nice. So you need three different perspectives, right? Hopefully adding the second and third, you're following more best practices of persuasive writing. What if you had a thousand markers? What do you think would happen? In terms Pretty of accurate. <laughs> there you go. You would have uh, what's called better data validity, right? right. More accurate. Um, that's the idea behind AI and these, these, these giant data sets that have been collected from, hypothetically, thousands of other markers for persuasive. So um, the machine, machine learning essentially would be learning based upon the previously made data sets and the algorithms and, and all that, right? Yeah. Uh, so that you would come up with a list of best practices so it would diagnose and prescribe the way it should yeah. be done or should have been done and give rich feedback based upon that, just like a human would. The human is going based upon that human's experience. Those three are doing it based upon their three lifetimes of experiences. Mm -hmm. AI enables that to be multiplied exponentially. I see. Right. Okay. In terms of that diagnostic stage, so would it be a set of questions, questions that uh, lead up to the final goal of understanding the material? And then from those questions, they pick apart where you're at? Right. So questions, if you mean like multiple choice. Um, would hurt not. More like an extended yeah. answer. I, I yeah. am not a fan of multiple choice. I've right. ranted about it plenty, <laughs> plenty of times. Yeah. Yeah. So it, de it depends. The diagnosis is going to be tied directly to what the end goal is, right? And if it's changing a tire 
are you simply going to ask multiple choice or true false to ascertain whether this person already has mastered the art of changing a tire or whether they need to start at module two, right? Mm. You can't do that through multiple choice, really, because I could tell you how to change a tire having never done one, right? Yeah. So you have to have, rather than just multiple choice, you have to match the diagnostic approach with the actual goal, right? So is it a knowledge, skill, behavior, or attitudinal outcome that you want, thus match the quiz or assessment tool to that. So you could do, let's say an emulation or simulation of what it's like to change a tire. You drag this tool onto that and turn it this way. You can, that's a better kind of diagnosis, but that's the approach to diagnosing before prescribing. And so you're gonna get some sort of tailored prescription based upon a diagnosis. That's the bread and butter of adaptive learning. Based upon it diagnosing what the potentially the error is, or your great success, it'll then prescribe a pathway for you that'll either help you get into what they call you know, the, the mainstream where the majority of people are, um, or you're already in the mainstream and you're at the top level, guess what? You can go at a more advanced level prescribing extra stuff for you to learn because mm -hmm. guess what happens when someone is beyond what they're learning, they get bored, lack of engagement and such. So it's always keeping you challenged at that level you need to be to be able to learn, perform, and be engaged. Mm. There's this uh, thing called, uh, very academic here, Vygotsky's zone of proximal development. And that was the idea oh, Lord. of yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a mouthful, but it was like scaffolding essentially, giving you just enough support to climb up to that next one, right? But you're mm. always at that level where you need to be. And that really is, is what adaptive learning is about and how AI can make it so much better. Mm. I remember during my MBA uh, <laughs> in the economics and, and finance and accounting classes, just like, oh my God, I wish I had adaptive <laughs> learning right now because I got no idea what this guy's talking about. Wow. Because he's been doing it for 30 years and what is it the most basic level for him was way above what I could possibly comprehend at that point in time. So I needed my intelligent tutor to whisper in my ear, this is what he means. And here's what you got to study to catch up to that concept. Yeah. So, so in terms of um, when you said, I wish I had adaptive learning in your MBA, um, yeah. it, it's so, so what you had then I assume was just material lectured oh, yeah. at you by a lecturer and yeah. um, how would that have been improved had it been with adaptive learning it, it, apart from the personalized learning would it have been made in a more engaging way or was it simply more feedback? Uh, well, it, it would have diagnosed what my level was going into this because I was doing my MBA coming from, uh, I mean, I had, uh, I had an MED in instructional design and years of corporate training and, and K-12 teaching. I had no sort of CFO experience. What is and a yet CFO there, experience? I'm sorry, Chief Financial Officer. Ah, uh, should have known. <laughs> I, I wasn't an economist. I wasn't, um, you know, director of finance or anything like that. Yet I got thrust into this economics course and, and finance and accounting course, which had assumed a certain level of capability at the start, which mm -hmm. I did not have. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, I mean, while it was very interesting, I had this everyone knows the overwhelming feeling of, oh, I'm so stupid, or this is going to take me forever to just <laughs> Every you know, day. stay up to date in this course. 
<laughs> so what did I have to do is I had to figure out, I had to diagnose myself. Wait a sec. Okay. So uh -huh. I don't understand that going to Google to get the concept. It then leads you on a hundred different rabbit holes of, you know, all these points to understand that main concept they didn't understand. And that's that sort of uh, detour from the mainstream in that, in that continuum I talked about, I was doing manually on my own, trying to find the best resources. Mm -hmm. Right. And thank you. If uh, the person from uh, investopedia.com ever sees <laughs> this, thank you. You got me through my MBA. Yeah. Um, so I created my own sort of multi branching learning path mm -hmm. so that I could succeed in, in the course, which thank God I actually did. Mm -hmm. um, now, if this was done through, let's say AI uh, or adaptive learning, it would have diagnosed what I didn't know which are the building blocks of that concept the professor talked about. I could then do that on my own outside of class. So the next day when I come back, I would then have that sort of threshold knowledge. Honestly, I think we've all experienced Jane's struggles where we just don't know how to answer something. So we keep trying to research and research. It just becomes a mess. And it reminds me of Googling the definition of a word only to find out that you don't even know what a word in the definition is, so you have to Google that definition. Anyway, so essentially adaptive e-learning is an efficient way to find gaps in our knowledge. Now onto the four levels of e-learning. All right, so the four levels <clears throat> used in uh, the e-learning world um, are called IMI, okay? So that's interactive media instructional levels. Right. Uh, and it, it was essentially for that outcome, what kind of instructional methodology is needed to achieve that outcome? Again, the idea of changing a tire is a skills and procedure based uh, mm -hmm. outcome. <clears throat> Knowledge, reading a PowerPoint on how to do that, probably won't have the greatest effect in terms of achieving that, right? Yeah. So they said, okay, well, let's create a framework around this. So if you just have a knowledge-based outcome, such as compliance training, the bane of e-learning, <laughs> no one likes doing compliance training, right? It's essentially a corporation says, oh, okay, uh, for insurance purposes, we have to show that uh, all of our employees went through and passed um, cybersecurity best practices. And you sit there, you read a PowerPoint slide, uh, and you hit next, R rinse and repeat. And then at the end, you'll maybe have 10 multiple choice questions. Mm-hmm, yeah. And based upon that, the higher-ups potentially believe that if you pass that, you will have no cybersecurity issues. Or they realize there may be cybersecurity issues on your part in the future, but for insurance purposes, all the employees have passed it. That's the level one, right? That's the reason for having a level one, which is passive. It's knowledge-based. It's you have to have super memory to really get anything out of it, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The next level is two. It's limited uh, interaction, limited media. You might have a video, it's start and stop. Uh, just like level one, you'll have, some, you'll have some static images, maybe photos. Um, so limited interaction, you, you may have a drag and drop for a, a question in a quiz. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little more engaging because it's not just next, next, next. Level three is, is like an emulation. There's more interactivity, the media is better, and it's now starting to get sophisticated. Um, and this is really good when you want to teach people a certain level of a technology. 
So back from military training, let's say, um, you know, you have simulators, right? Like level D simulators for training pilots and there are 30, $35 million a piece. The, <laughs> they're incredibly complex. And guess what? You don't need someone to use the actual simulation data. You just need a slice of it, let's say, right? So it's more engaging. It's more realistic. It's more enjoyable. The media is great, more realistic, but at the highest level, um, you have what, let's say, uh, militaries, when they're in a, a, a multi-nation uh, war game in, in the Pacific, would be using to move their in different entities, like the enemies or whatever, around the, the chessboard, so to speak. And it's driven right. by huge data. Ooh, that's true. And well, I guess if we use the example of education with these four levels of e-learning. For example, in an engineering class, how could a, state, a level two or a level three look like? Well, um, we did build some, um, okay, so emulation level three would be, uh, you have a box with circuitry and you're supposed to be uh, fault finding, right? Mm -hmm. So where is this thing going wrong? It's supposed, this light's supposed to turn on, it's not. So you use your virtual screwdriver, right? You take mm -hmm. that off, it pops off, and then visually you see the guts of the electronic system there. And then you take your different tool sets to find where there might be a short circuit or whatnot. And you drag it on that red circuit. No, nope, that's not it. And you keep doing that. It's emulating what the real thing would look like and how mm -hmm. it would react. That's about the most complex I've seen in uh, post-secondary education. Wow. You can definitely make anatomy more interesting that way too. Oh. Absolutely. You don't <laughs> Actually, have to, instead uh, of just rote memorization. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, you don't have to cut the frog apart anymore. Oh, but that's the, <laughs> that's the fun part though. Oh, <laughs> uh, gross. But at least like if, if it was throughout the week, we only had one prac, I think a week or every two weeks. So if we could have a prac online every day, that would make our content a lot more interesting. Sorry. Prac. Practicum practical or practical exercise? Practical. Oh, yeah. okay. Ah, Australian term. <laughs> yep. Practicals, ah, okay. um, uh, going in and doing the dissections and everything. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Cultural barrier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, you're, you're right. Um, you say it's interesting. I mean, think of even at the level four, how realistic it is you got a billion dollars, you build a frog dissection simulation. It could have everything in terms of the science that is correct, every possible outcome that could ever happen, right? You know, you accidentally cut into the spleen or something like that, and you see the visual effects of that. But cool. what are you going to miss out? You're going to miss out on the tactile, right? The, the kinesthetic aspect. You're also going to miss out on the other sense of smell, right? The formaldehyde or whatnot. So while these can help you on that continuum, let's say you're a medical, you want to be a doctor, you're doing um, cadavers. Cadavers, thank you. Yeah. Uh, dissections. You're building up the knowledge and skills, and it helps you bridge so that the next day you can go out and try it out on actual cadavers, mm -hmm. right? Versus day one, here's your textbook, read it. Tomorrow we're going in and we're cutting people open. You can see how it can help you bridge that, right? But it will never replace until we get into truly AI driven immersive environments in which we don't know if we're in the matrix or not, it will never yeah. replace that actual real life situation. That seems like, you know, a course that I would want to do doing actual, just, you know, I, I totally understand that bridging between 
the learning material, which would have been a PowerPoint about uh, the anatomy of the body versus a simulation or an emulation of that. Um, so you already have that, I guess, experience of seeing mm -hmm. the body, seeing the proportions of it, and then being able to do that in real life the next day or whenever it is. Uh, right. Yeah. And just imagine, um, as I mentioned about accidentally cutting into the spleen, even if you have a really complex, um, you know, uh, interactivity and, and uh, media and such, if it's developed so that you have a, that binary pathway, how enriching is that going to be versus that sort of free to explore and free to make mistakes, which are then kind of remediated approach. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's the adaptive learning aspect if driven by AI, in addition to incredibly complex uh, uh, interactivity and media will make, you know, such a rich learning experience occur. For sure. And looking at uh, the current primary school level of e-learning, it's a lot of multiple choice. Mm. I saw someone uh, do reading comprehension and it was about, I think it was about clouds or something. And there were options of what does this mean? And he had four and what he would do, my neighbor would do is just click on one and it would immediately say yes or no, right or wrong. Mm. And he gamed the system because all he learned from it was, okay, if this is wrong, then I'll do process of elimination and I will try these other three options until I get it right. And I looked at him mm. And he's memorized the whole set of questions. Yeah. And so yeah. obviously from this example, e-learning can be super boring because either my neighbor wasn't interested in the content, which was quite obvious, um, but mm -hmm. also the mode of which uh, he was learning the material. Right. Right. So how can we make this <laughs> online learning more fun, more engaging, more, you know, uh, you mentioned simulation. So those sorts of things, how can we make it more fun sure. for our students? Sure, well, there are two parts to that. Um, the first being before we even talk about how to make it more enjoyable was we have to look at what, what is the purpose of the e-learning. For him, his, his KPI or his, his metric by which he's judging his success on it is simply getting through it, not learning, Yeah. right? And is the teacher's metric about learning or doing? right? Mm. Do you want the kid to wrote, memorize this stuff? Do you want him to apply it? What is it? Do you really, because of uh, the way the education system is in the US, and I understand what you're saying was an Australian uh, scenario, but in the US, you know, teachers in schools get penalized if kids don't perform at a certain level on exams. So what's the metric there, right? Is it we want to make sure all these kids do really well on the exam so we can continue to get the funding we need. Or is it we want this kid to have some sort of life skills or whatnot? And the kid's like, I don't care. I just want to graduate. <laughs> yeah. I, just right? want I don't want to get <laughs> I don't want to get grounded. Right. Yeah. So until you have that and everybody, you know, putting their money where their mouth is, I don't think you can really get that much in the way of enjoyable learning because enjoyable and engaging learning has to be meaningful. It has to have the right type of instruction based upon the goals. It has to have media and interaction that are going to create some sort of engagement. Mm. And honestly, it, it has to be meaningful. It has to have follow on. So let's say follow you have really, so let's say you have really enjoyable e-learning and, and it gets, you know, four out of five smiley faces. 
you know, how many smiley faces would you give this? Would you recommend it to people? Four to five, right? And people say, oh, I got four smiley faces for on average for my course. Well, what does that mean? That's reaction. That's just, you know, uh, if your metric is you want to make a course that gets four to five smiley faces, then you've achieved your goal. But that's not what education is about. So if you're really serious about this being sort of a life-changing experience or whatnot for this kid, you have to create a course around that and you have to do follow-on checkups. Good. The person gave you four to five smiley faces. Did they learn anything though? Did you do a pre-test and a post-test? Right? Mm -hmm. Later on, does this affect how the person is applying knowledge consistently? Does this change the person's behavior in the context of that content and that goal? Has it produced learners who after this are more functional and successful, mm -hmm. right? Once everybody says, yeah, that's our goal and the funding comes for that and everyone has the skill sets to build around that, then you can make a course that is truly engaging, truly enjoyable and has the proper outcomes. If we lose sight of that end goal and we focus on just creating something that is enjoyable, engaging or whatnot, you know what? Gamify it, make it, you know, um, mix it with angry birds, right? <laughs> you have to properly define what mitochondria is before you're allowed to pull back the slingshot in angry birds, right? <laughs> and then you go on to the next, and that's what they, they've done, right? Yeah. So, but you know, it's enjoyable. Yeah. You know, I got the highest score in angry birds. Okay. Now let's talk about what you learned and let's try to apply that. Oh, uh, there you go. What was the purpose and how was it built? Right. So we have to be very careful because there's a term called edutainment. And a lot of e-learning is edutainment. It's education combined with entertainment. Done right, it's very powerful, but a lot of the time, the entertaining aspect takes over from what needs to be taught based upon the goals and how does it, should it be taught to achieve those goals. Right, as in the entertaining factor distracts from actually benefiting from the material? Yeah, let's make this fun. Let's throw in some uh, cartoonish animations, some music. Um, let's have them watch some videos. Let's make this game cool. Let's throw some guys with skateboards in there, <laughs> right? It's it's good to, you know, make it at the level of of the students and such, but that shouldn't be the the hook throughout the entire lesson. Right. Unless if we do it in such a way that the man with the skateboard is providing very important information, <laughs> very relevant information yeah. to the learning goals. Yeah. So you got that cool 14-year-old skateboarder avatar on the top right there who's, oh, yeah. who's offering some guidance or feedback. Well, that could work, yeah. Oh, 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 in my head, actually, I was imagining if he was doing tricks or something and then um, each trick, it would be like, what's the velocity of the board spinning and then awesome. um, projection. There you, go. there you go. You're an e-learner. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, you know, you're, you're right. There are ways you can structure it and, and you could take away all that media and all that interactivity and put that question about velocity with four multiple choice answers. Mm -hmm. Which one do you think the kid's going to spend more time trying to get right? He's going to want to see that, that guy or his character, his avatar do the trick based upon the correct answer or calculation, right? Yeah. Motivation. Sure. So, I mean, you can make it enjoyable and effective. Hope you're enjoying this discussion with Jane so far. Now onto the last part where we introduce a scenario of adaptive e-learning in education. If you look up uh, scenario-based learning with Kathy Moore, you'll see this approach. Essentially, it's um, 
I'll say Joanna. Yes. Joanna is a, a med student and she needs to do such and such. So it's kind of the context, right? She's creating this um, antidote to COVID-19. Okay. Yep. So, but to achieve this, she has to identify all the bacterial cells <laughs> so that they can be removed by her colleague. Okay. So then the person has to uh, um, look at, like under a microscope, the microscope uh, image pops up mm -hmm. and you have these five different kind of uh, um, views, microscope views of different cells, mm -hmm. right? And you would say, okay, click on which one you think it is. Now there's been no knowledge given at all so far. This is direct, you're thrust into the situation. Click on that one, okay? That is correct. So they have, if there are five of them, they have a 20% chance of getting it right. So you could say this is a binary learning opportunity, right? It's yes, it's no, right? Mm, okay. Sounds like it. Mm -hmm. So in terms of scenario-based learning, it's the three C's. You have your context, you have your choice you make, and then you have the consequences, good or bad, of each one of those choices. So Joanna's looking through her microscope at the five different ones. She clicks on the wrong one. Okay, so the context is there, or context or challenge, either one. Mm -hmm. The challenge is there. You made your choice. What are the consequences? Well, non-rich feedback is wrong. Try again. Have you... Have you just missed out on a learning opportunity? Absolutely, you have. You would have an avatar text saying, Joanna, that's really, that, that was a good answer if it was this situation or if we had asked for you to do this, right? Because it has the principles of this, this, and this, but you're missing principles four and five, and thus it is the wrong answer. So you're still giving rich feedback at that opportunity in that scenario. So the person now is like, oh, okay, they're learning principles they can apply to other scenarios and other situations, right? So that's kind of the gray area, right? Whereas you have the correct and incorrect. We've just worked in this area, but we've learned from it, right? The person gets another chance, right? But before that person gets another chance, you must, within the realism of that scenario, give the consequences for your somewhat incorrect answer. Joanna, you passed it on to your colleague. Your colleague has now died and spread that COVID-19 oh, no. entire city. Right? Uh, there yeah. you go. So you got a little bit of engagement, a little bit of humor. You see consequences of making an incorrect action within the real world of biology, biological research or something, right? Uh-huh. Start it's, over. It's, isn't it? It sounds like it's giving you, it's, um, what's the word? It's making you accountable to your decision. It's saying that, okay, absolutely. choosing this isn't just a, eh, it's a, your action will actually lead to consequences that are potentially harmful and depending on the scenario. Absolutely. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Like cybersecurity. Can you imagine if you did a compliance training this way, you wouldn't fall asleep from it and you'd probably remember some of it. So oh. <laughs> when you're putting your, you know, your favorite iTunes on your work computer, you'd be like, Oh, right. Yeah. I'm not supposed to do that because it's stuck in your head. That scenario. Uh -huh. would happen, right? Wow. So you can have a lot of fun with scenarios because you base them upon real life context or challenges, real life choices you might make and real life consequences. Now strap some adaptive learning and AI onto this and think about all the potential choices a person could make. Although in this one, we've restricted it to five choices, potential consequences that might happen as well. It could that, be very interesting. 
Oh yeah. That sounds really, really awesome. Oh my gosh. Now my brain's just ticking about all this stuff that could look up Kathy Moore's action mapping. It's fantastic. Awesome. Well, I yeah. will look into that. And great, great, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Jean, for joining us today. I think thanks for the conversation. Yeah. A lot of people, I think we, we just don't talk about AI in the context of education. I don't think it's really occurred to us that there is such a link between the two, especially because we're so used to physical schools. Um, but this and one question has one answer. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Right or yeah. wrong. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for informing us. And I hope a lot of people are inspired to learn more about it too. Thanks. And I hope during your masters that uh, you'll have the opportunity to experience some of this or near the end, craft some of it. So special thanks to Gene for joining us in this episode. If you want to find out more about him, then definitely check him out on LinkedIn, Gene Frizzell. And I will see you guys next week.